So today my message to you is Jesus is a good shepherd. You know, there's something about the good shepherd that we are attracted to it. The good shepherd is probably one of the most recognized metaphor of God in the Bible. In Psalm 23rd, the shepherd psalm, uh, has been frequently cited as the favorite Bible passage for many, many Christians. There's a certain attraction about Jesus being our shepherd that brings comfort and encouragement. You know what draws us to the shepherding metaphor? Today, we want to expound on John 10, verses 1 to 25. Let's begin with the parable of the shepherd. That's where Jesus started, the parable of the shepherd. In verses 1 to 6, open up your Bible or your, your electronic appliances, uh, or you can see the screen here. The word's a little bit small, but let me read to you verses 1 to 6 on the parable of the shepherd, the first point. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the shepherd by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. See, this is a figure of speech. It is like a parable, and the dictionary defines a, a figure of speech like a word or phrase used in a non-literal sense for rhetorical and vivid effect. So it's like a parable. Uh, whatever is said here is not exactly what is said here, but it's pointing to something like a parable. And Jesus chose shepherding as the parable, and that was a very familiar life experience for the people in Jesus' time. And they will be very familiar with, like Genesis chapter 49, uh, Psalm 23, of course, Psalm 80, or even Isaiah 40, where it talks about God is a shepherd of Israel. And they knew that both Moses and David were shepherds, the two most prominent figures in the nation of Israel. And of course, they remember Jeremiah chapter 23, or Ezekiel 34, where the Israelite leaders were portrayed as a bad shepherd who failed to carry out their duties. So as Jesus told the parable of the shepherd, they would have no problem following him all along, most likely very easily. And in this six verses here, Jesus pretty much talked about three things. One is a sheepfold, and secondly is a shepherd, and thirdly is a sheep. A sheepfold in Jesus' time is typically constructed in the, in the field when a shepherd will choose the end of a canyon or against a rocky backdrop to erect a stone wall. It's about three feet. And sometimes thorny branches were placed on top of the wall to further deter vicious animals from invading the sheepfold. And there's only one entrance, and that's where the gatekeeper or the shepherd will often station themselves. Second, the shepherd. The shepherd, he will enter through the door, and the gatekeeper will recognize him. Sometimes the shepherd is the gatekeeper. Sometimes the shepherd is not the gatekeeper. Sometimes a, a fall can be pretty big where they can accommodate a few flocks with a few shepherds, and they will together hire a gatekeeper. 
and the gatekeeper will know exactly who are the shepherds, who are the flocks that can enter lawfully into this fold. And of course, it says that those who climb in by other ways are thieves and robbers. See, the thieves comes with deception. The robbers, violence. And the stranger, he called them the strangers, trickery. And they are not the lawful, rightful people that should be entering this fold. They come with harms, ill intent for the sheep. And thirdly, he mentioned the sheep. The sheep will respond to the shepherd based on a trusted relationship. Look at verses 3 and 4. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name individually and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. There is a trust. There is a familiarity between the shepherd and the sheep. You know, the Pharisees know exactly what is shepherding. After all, they were pretty much in the agricultural world, and they have seen that. It's a daily life, daily experience. But they kind of missed the point. They didn't get the point. And we, as the modern readers today, we have the benefit of the context, and we know exactly what Jesus meant. So by sheepfold, Jesus meant the Israelites. And by the shepherd, Jesus meant that he himself is the Messiah who will offer salvation to the Israelites. And by the gatekeeper, he was most likely pointing to John the Baptist who introduces Jesus to the audience, to the Jewish community. Or it can even point to Moses, the Old Testament prophets, uh, the prophecies, you know, in the Old Testament. But most likely, John the Baptist. And when he mentioned thief and robber and stranger, of course, we know that it was the Pharisees. Why? Because in chapter 10, it is a continuation of chapter 9 when Jesus healed the blind man who was born blind. The Pharisees in chapter 9 accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law. And therefore, he has no power to heal. They refused to acknowledge his power. So they keep you know, keep validating, keep checking, and make sure that the blind man was actually healed. Why? Because God will never use a sinner who breaks the Sabbath law and perform a miracle. And that's how the Pharisees look at Jesus in this healing. But the blind man thought otherwise. He considered Jesus as a prophet. He confirmed that the healing of his blindness had come from none other than Jesus. So the Pharisees were so disgusted with the blind man that they cast him out of the synagogue, their place of worship. But Jesus, the good shepherd, takes him in and receives him into his sheepfold. What the Jewish leaders could not fulfill is met in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. So now John introduces to the good shepherd, beginning in verses 7 to 18. So the second point is the coming of the good shepherd. In coming of the good shepherd, we shall focus on three things. One, he safeguards, he safeguards the sheep. And secondly, he loves the sheep. And thirdly, he knows the sheep. But before I go there, I want to point you to the importance of the I am statement. So far, we have gone through two of that statements. In chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
And then in chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And now we, we are beginning to encounter Jesus' claim, his self-proclamation that I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And you remember that in the past passages, in the past sermons, we talk about the I am statement is very significant in the Gospel of John because it is a special term that God identifies himself as I am who I am. And it expresses God's self-sufficiency, God's self-existence, and His immediate presence. And that God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. That His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that He will be what He will be. That is, He will be the eternally constant God. He's the great I Am. And now we're going to see two of that in this section here. First of all, let's look at He safeguards the sheep as He claimed to be the door. Verses 7 to 10. Let me read to you verses 7 to 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I am the door. It is akin to his claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. He is the door to eternity. He is the door to the reconciliation with the Father. He is the door to the forgiveness of sins. He is the door to eternal life. And the Pharisees, of course, Jesus using his parables and the figure of speech, continuing into this section, the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. They come to destroy, they come to steal, and they come to kill. They destroy the faith of many. They steal the access to Jesus. They kill the opportunities for the multitudes to know the good shepherd in verse 10. That's the role of the Pharisees. And just, just as the Pharisees cast out the blind man from the synagogue, they have set up different roadblocks to prevent people from coming to the real shepherd, the good shepherd, the creator of life. They put the law of Moses as a hurdle. They imposed the law of Moses on other people, and they are the policemen to make sure everybody complies with that. And including the cleansing rituals, the sacrifices in the temple, the, the, the food to eat and what not to eat, and plus they added on 613 commandments. In fact, no one can observe them all. So by placing the law of Moses before the people as a way to salvation, they are pretty much saying, you are not good enough because no one can obey all laws. If you break one, you break all. And no one is perfect enough to be able to do all the laws. And secondly, they put on another hurdle. They are pride as the chosen people. See, by circumcision, as an outward sign of their covenant with God, they identify themselves as the children of Abraham. That's very unique. That's very special. They are the special people chosen by God, and which is the cause of their pride and ethnocentricity. 
And with that centricity, they treated all the Gentiles as inferior. So by placing the law before the people, they are saying you are not good enough. And by their ethnocentricity, they are saying you don't belong. <laughs> you don't belong. You are outsiders. We are insiders. And this roadblocks has caused many to stumble. But in verse 8, it says, but the sheep did not listen to them. See, the sheep that follow the door, because Jesus is the door, they don't listen to them, but they listen to the shepherd. And Jesus is the door. He offers the abundant life. In verse 9, he says, I am the door. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. But in contrast to the thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy, the abundant life that Jesus gave is, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And their abundant life is they will be safe, they will go in and out, not a burger, in and out of God's presence, and they will find pastors. That's an abundant life that Jesus is offering. They will be safe. They will receive eternal life. They will be right with God the Father. They will experience forgiveness of sins and he will usher them into his presence when they pass from this world. In fact, in the following verses, in verses 26 to 29, Jesus said, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And that's the promise that Jesus gave to the sheep. They will have eternal life. They will be saved. And they will go in and out. They will go in to access to the spiritual blessings in the presence of God. And with the reception of that spiritual blessing, they will go out with a transformed life before the world to witness for Jesus. They will come in and they will go out to live for Jesus in, in their abundant life. And they will find pasture, meaning they will be well-fed. They will be nurtured. Just like Psalm 23 says, they will lie down in green pastures. And you remember Jesus said in chapter 6 that I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the abundant life that Jesus is offering to the sheep who hears his voice and follow him all the way. I like the way Eugene Peterson kind of transliterate this verse. He says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dream of. That's abundant life that we can experience in Christ. I know you sitting there and think, but, but what does it show? Where, where does it show? It is not evidence by a life without trials and tribulations and temptations and persecutions. We have plenty of that. But it is validated by the overcoming power of God in the midst of trials and tribulations and temptations 
and persecutions. You and I are experiencing that overcoming power in the midst of all this abundant life that Jesus offered to you. He safeguards the sheep. And secondly, he loves the sheep. Verses 11 to 13. 11 to 13 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd loves the sheep. The good shepherd is good, not because he's a gentle and meek and, and a nice guy. He is good because he is noble. He is worthy. He is worthy of discipleship. He's worthy for you and me to follow his voice. And Jesus is comparing good and bad shepherds. And he compares the bad shepherds as hired hand. And they are the Pharisees, of course. Now, now hired hand is not malicious like thief and robber. Hired hand is just selfish. The hired hand only cares about himself. He performs merely out of a sense of duty. Nothing more, nothing less. Just do my job. There's no trusted relationship between the hired hands and the sheep. The hired hand does not own the sheep. There's no sense of ownership and doesn't care about the sheep. It's just a job. He cares about his own welfare. He will gladly desert the sheep in the face of dangers. Whether the sheep is scattered or snatched by the wolves is of no concern to him. He only cares about his pay, his own welfare. But the good shepherd cares so much for the sheep that he is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And that's, of course, pointing to Jesus' crucifixion in his substitutional death for the redemption of mankind from the bondage of sin and death. And Jesus cares and loves so much that he will go to, th to, to such extent. You know, the, the good shepherd metaphor is so impactful that the apostle Peter uses it to exhort the pastors. In 1 Peter 5, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And that inspiration, he got it from the Good Shepherd metaphor. The Good Shepherd loves the sheep. And thirdly, he knows the sheep. Verses 14 to 18. Verses 14 to 18 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. 
He knows the sheep. The word knows has been used four times. And, and they are all in present tense. It is talking about an ongoing relationship. And the word is, is not just a, a mere knowledge. It is knowledge plus experience. It is knowing it and living it, kind of a ginosko knowing that is talking about here. The sheep has experienced ongoing relationship, trusted relationship with the shepherd. You know, in verse 4, we are reminded that the sheep knows the shepherd's voice, but here it is mutual. The sheep knows the shepherd, the shepherd knows the sheep. It is mutual. It is a deep and intimate knowing, like the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. You remember in John chapter 17, verse 21 says that they may all be one, that all the disciples will be in unity, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. We are bonded, we are connected forever, inseparable. And Jesus loves the sheep. Just as Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But not only that, he says, but I have other sheep. Not only here, but in other that are not of this fall. When he says this fall, that means the Jewish audience, the Israelites. But they don't belong here. They will have sheep outside of this fall. Then it must be the Gentile fall. So Jesus is prophesying, is talking about the Great Commission that to make disciples of all nations, not just the nation Israel. And they will be brought into one flock, not under the same fall. They don't have to become Jews. They don't have to be circumcised. They can still be themselves, but they all come under Jesus, the great shepherd. He is the one that will bring them together and reconcile them together into one body, one church. I think verses 17, 17 and 18 are very significant. It is loaded with theology on the divinity of Christ. That Jesus trusted in and submitted to the will of God the Father. The good shepherd lays down his life. It is based on the love of God the Father. And his death on the cross was not a murder or a martyrdom or a tragedy, but it was a voluntary submission to the will of God the Father. That's how far the extent that Christ has gone to show his love to us. And more importantly, he has the power of resurrection. See, it was not a case of an unfortunate event that Jesus was crucified and the Father heard about that and quickly intervened by raising Jesus from the dead. It was the will of God all along. The empty tomb was God's plan of salvation for mankind. The grave could not hold him down. The grave must open up to let out the giver of life, the creator of the universe. So he gives his life. He takes it back according to the will of the Father. He has the power of resurrection. He safeguards the sheep, loves the sheep. He knows the sheep as a good shepherd. And finally, in verses 19 to 21, the crowd is divided again. You know, 
all the time when Jesus preached, when Jesus presented himself, the audience are divided. I wonder if we are divided today. Verses 19 to 21 say, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why? Listen to him. Others say, These are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Again, polarized, two sides. There was one side that says Jesus broke the Sabbath law. He's a sinner, and a sinner cannot be used by God to perform a miracle, so no way he can heal that blind man. He's demon-possessed. He's insane. He has power from a source that we don't know of. We do not recognize him as from God. Not possible. But the other side who supported Jesus, they said, well, demons don't perform acts of mercy. Demon comes to destroy, to deceive, to murder. But if Jesus is possessed by demon and yet he exercised that acts of mercy, it's not likely. That's not the nature of the demon. And if that is the case, then he must be from God. He must be from God. The crowd is divided. What about you? Are you divided in the opinions of Jesus? You know, every preaching is like that. Every preaching has two sides. There will be people agree and disagree and obey or disobey and do it and don't do it. Same for the sermon. The point is, where is, where is your response? And my message to you today that you and I will align with and you and I will obey is that Jesus is the door. Jesus is a good shepherd. He saves and nurtures the sheep personally, individually, to give them abandoned life. And that's where we are today. That we are attracted to Jesus being the good shepherd. You know why? Because everyone needs a shepherd. Everyone. This pastor shepherd here needs his own shepherd so that he can grow and so that he can experience the protection and the guides and the nurturing of the great shepherd. When I say that the Lord is my shepherd, when you claim that the Lord is my shepherd, you are basically saying that you are in the care of someone else, right? Unless you don't claim Jesus as your shepherd. But when you say Jesus is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, you are claiming that you are under the care of someone else and that someone else is the shepherd that you are not in charge that you have surrendered your life to the good shepherd who gives you abandoned life and we need that shepherd and that's why the metaphor of the good shepherd is so attractive to us because we are wounded by the time you reach this age of your life and this stage of your life either young and old, you, you have been wounded by many things and many times, intentionally or unintentionally, directly or indirectly, you've been wounded. And even for some of our older generation, you still remember vividly the wounds that hurt you. We need shepherd because we failed. We fail ourselves sometimes. We failed the significant ones in our lives. And we felt those who believe in us and look up to us, we fail. And we know that. We need a shepherd because we sin. 
It is a bondage that we cannot shake off. Psalm 51, King David says, My sin is ever before me. And you know that. It's, it's not, not much arguments and persuasions that need to be done. You know it, and I know it. My sin is ever before me. That's why I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd because I'm broken. I feel ashamed. I've been backstabbed, betrayed, and the mess that I created hurts others. I'm a broken man. I need a shepherd because I'm fearful. Whether I show it or not, that's not important, but everybody is fearful. I'm afraid I didn't make it. I'm afraid you don't like my sermon. I'm afraid that there might be a debilitating disease that will ruin my life when I plan for my retirement, when I plan for the last seasons of my life, and it can be cut short. I'm afraid of cancer, but I'm more afraid of dementia and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. They don't kill you, but they kill you slowly. And it takes a lot of people to surround you to care for you. And it's expensive. I'm afraid. I'm afraid the past mistakes I made will begin to catch up with me. I'm fearful. And I'm anxious. Who is not anxious nowadays? I'm, I'm, I'm anxious because what if? What if? And with that what if, you can fill in the blank. Anything. What if? What if this falls off? How do I look before people? Am I accepted genuinely? Do I have enough? Do I have enough to live? Do I have enough to retire? And for some of you, can I raise my kids under such climate? Can they even survive? Can they hold their faith? Can I teach enough for them to follow Jesus? You're anxious. What if? So we need a shepherd. And I need a shepherd because I have no control. <laughs> I have no control in the next second, in the next minute. I don't know what will happen and how the future looks like. And from what you have read in the papers and watched on the television or any other source of news, it's not very optimistic. And for many of us, we are tempted. We are tempted to be our own shepherds. As much as we know we need a shepherd, but our selfishness and our ego oftentimes will push us to be our own shepherd, to hear our own voice. We refuse to surrender, even though we know I have to, but I refuse. And for many of us, we are just distracted. This is probably one of the most common experiences for modern-day men and women. Distraction. That I, I, as much as I want to hear this message, but when I have this smartphone and, and electronic appliance in my hand, and I'm constantly lured, tempted to play that computer games and, and watch the message and texts and read postings on Facebooks and Instagrams and look at pictures and, and, and Twitters. And it, it's so hard. It's so hard to resist. 
we are a generation of distraction. The sad thing is that when you check it in to your smartphone, you peek left and right to make sure nobody's watching. And of course, when you look left and right, if you see others are doing the same thing, you feel better. And if they're absorbed in the message, then you feel bad. I shouldn't do that. But I want it. What's wrong with me? And that's why we need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. Jesus in Matthew 6, 33 reminds us, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this shall be given unto you. And I remember that song by Hillsong, Stronger. You are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Because you are stronger, you are stronger. And I need you to be my shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd. Secondly, I want to talk about the voice that we hear. Because the passage says, the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd and follows him. But we hear many, many voices nowadays. In fact, too many voices. You hear what you want to hear. Our hearing is often selective listening, right? You select what you want to hear. Someone did an experiment on a busy cross roads in New York City where most people just rush to work and usually pay no attention to things around them and just focus on what they should be going and where they should be going, what they should be doing. And they wonder, will anything that can stop this busy, rushing professionals, Wall Street tribes, even stop them from their busy pursuing going in the destination and someone just hold lots of quarters and dimes and nickels and come to a crossroads in downtown New York and throw that <laughs> coins and let it fall on the road with that tingling, you know, noises there. And they discover actually people stop. People actually stop because they hear that, that noises of coins hitting the road and say, what's that? Where is it? So we do choose what we want to hear, as busy as you are. What do you enjoy hearing? What attracts you? Which voice do you follow? I think the, the Good Shepherd calls out today to the young adults and say, know me. This is the best time of your life where you're not committed in a relationship yet, you're not committed in marriage yet, you were single, get to know me. Use your time wisely. Get to know me. I think the Good Shepherd is calling out to the young marrieds and say, trust me. Trust me for the future of your children. Trust me for the raising of your family. Trust me. I think the Good Shepherd is calling out to those here who are middle-aged, and say, choose me. 
you have tasted the world. You have tasted the power of the material world. You have tasted the goodness. You have tasted the pleasure of sin. And he's saying to you, no, 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 no. All this will ultimately lead you away from me. So in this stage of your life, make a commitment to choose me, the great shepherd. And I think the great shepherd is calling out to those who are 50 plus and older and middle-aged and older and seniors and semi-retired or retired and all the seniors in our midst saying, walk with me. You have walked with your children. You have walked with the spouse now that you are by yourself. You have walked many paths, but ultimately, walk with me because I am the good shepherd. And I will take your hand and I will never allow that hand to be snatched from me. I am the good shepherd. Did you hear that voice? Did you hear that voice from the good shepherd? Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being a great shepherd and a good shepherd. You have our best interest in your agenda, in your will, and in your plan. And we are safe in your hands. We are forever grateful. But sometimes our hearts wander. We are prone to wander away from the Good Shepherd. Lord, today bring us back into your fold and forever guide us and lead us to hear your voice and to follow the leading of the Good Shepherd because we need the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.